Let's stand open our Bibles to Mark chapter 8 this morning. As we journey through the book of Mark, occasionally there are either stories, parables, or subjects that have been hid over the past five to ten years. I'm no longer concerned about hitting those subjects again. I've come to the realization that many of you miss it the first time, the second time, and often the third time. I believe it's very important to uh, stay right here in Mark 8 and hitting the subject matter. Mark 8, and we'll begin reading verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. He charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. When Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not. Having ears, hear ye not. And do ye not remember? This, I believe, is the primary chapter in all the Bible, speaking of spiritual blindness. You know the story here, Christ is traveling with his disciples. Now, we're not talking about the initial stages or the beginning days of his ministry. We're deep into his ministry now, several years into his ministry. And he has to confront them. Obviously, we know the Pharisees were spiritually blind. Every man that's born in this world is spiritually blind. That's an obvious characteristic, an attribute of the old nature. When we deal with people concerning salvation, we're dealing with spiritual blindness. And it takes the light of the gospel the Holy Spirit to bring someone under conviction to turn those lights on to help reveal to them the truths of the Word of God. But you would think after hearing all the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, not a sermon. These disciples were not going to church on Sunday and Wednesday. You do know they're with Christ 24-7. They're hearing constant preaching, constant teaching, and there are entire days of, of preaching, but you're not only with him during those service times or during those teaching lessons, but also it's a personal time that the Lord Jesus Christ is spending with them. But despite that, we're seeing on a regular basis, they're wondering about the meaning of a parable. They're needing further explanation. There's a lack of understanding that is taking place in their life. There is spiritual blindness. Now look what it says. He says to them, verse 15, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He's talking about hypocrisy. But it says in verse 14, when they boarded the ship, they just had one loaf of bread. And when he mentions, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, uh, they reason, verse 16, among themselves saying, we didn't bring bread. And he's correcting us for our lack of foresight. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ looking at them saying, really? I'm trying to express to you a spiritual truth This is not about physical, material sustenance. This is a spiritual truth here. And we're not talking about barely missing the boat. We're talking about miles apart in the subject matter and their understanding. And this text has helped me incredibly so as a preacher to not be discouraged. Because I say the greatest preacher of all time, the most Holy Spirit-filled teacher that ever walked on the earth, If he could be this plain, this simplistic, with 12 of his closest confidants, and they miss it, I can preach to hundreds and expect a lot 
to miss it as well. Maybe it wasn't just a lousy explanation. Maybe our ears are just not as tuned in as we think. And there are areas of spiritual blindness in our life, even after salvation. How many of you wish that salvation cured all spiritual blindness? Now, here's what happens. We notice, we tend to notice spiritual blindness in others. We, we know every blind spot that they have. How is it they haven't conquered their temper? How is it that they're still dealing with jealousy? Why is it they're so full of pride and yet we don't see our own spiritual blindness or spiritual blind spot? Now, if you just, can you, can you do me a favor this morning? Just rotate your head, take a look around the auditorium. You know what you just saw? An auditorium full of spiritually blind people. Although most are saved, they're still blind spots. Otherwise, we'd all be spiritually mature and perfect. We would walk in, the pastor would have nothing to preach. We'd just walk in and sing a few praises and lift up his great name and go home and say, you know, we're just dealing with perfect people. Why even bother to preach the word of God? But we know even after, not years, but in the average case, decades of being around the preaching of the word of God, we all have areas that need addressed because there are spiritual blind spots in our lives. Now, you're going to see the following miracle is specifically to address this matter in the lives of the disciples. He's going to give them a spiritual lesson, visually helping them out. Verse 22, he cometh to Bethsaida, they bring a blind man. Now, folks, this ought to help you, not the subject matter this morning, but how many Unknown people in the Bible are highlighted by the Lord Jesus Christ because they brought people to Jesus. You ought to be one of those, although unnamed, you ought to fit in this category. Bringing, they bring a blind man unto him and beside him to touch him. Now, in our spiritual blindness, one of the first lessons we learn from this text is you've got to have the humility to be led to Christ. This, this man had been blind for a long time, and he had to put his trust. Now, this is for salvation. You're going to have to trust someone to go through the Scripture, trust someone to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ, trust Christ to save you. But after that, you're still going to have to trust someone to lead you in the understanding of the Scriptures. In our pride, we don't like to admit that. But consider a blind man. Here's what blindness does. Blindness, those that are blind learn to adjust. I'm astounded when I see blind people in their environment. Because if, if they live in a neighborhood for a while, they can get out and walk around the neighborhood. Without a cane. I don't know how they do it. I don't expect you to try it. You're going to hurt yourself. After they've lived in a house for a while, they can cook for themselves. Uh, they can go to a store. They have someone that they trust. And they sort through bills in a certain way, and they'll pull out a 20 or a 10 or a, or a $50 bill. They know, but in doing that, they had to trust someone to give them those bills and explain, this is a 20, this is a 50, this is a 10. They had to be led and put their trust in the person that was leading them. And you know why there are people that have been in church for 10 years and still don't soul win, still don't participate? Still don't tie, still, still haven't even grasped the most basic things. This is why I stopped counseling years ago. I point people to professional counselors at this point. I don't have the time. I, I'm, if you get in God's word and you get in God's house, 
and you truly desire to learn and grow, eliminate 90% of we are stuck in our ways because someone is trying to guide us to truth and we are the blind that is resistant to being led into all truth. And this blind person had to allow himself for someone to take him by the hand and lead him to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look what it says. Interesting, in the next phrase, it says, verse 23, he took the blind man, how? By the hand. And we're going to have to, at times, because of our own blind, well, pastor, this is pre-salvation. No, post-salvation. Sometimes we literally close our eyes to what God wants to teach us and what he wants us to understand. What is spiritual blindness? Verse 18, eyes, having eyes, ye see not. Ears, ye hear not. Do you not remember, verse 17, is your heart yet heart? That's spiritual blindness that takes place in the life post-salvation in the life of a believer. Verse 23, he took the blind man by the hand. He led him, what's it say? This is Christ. Why didn't Christ just heal him right there? Now, hold on for a second. If he had any other problem, okay, if, if he was paraplegic, you don't want to take him anywhere. If he's blind, you don't want to take him anywhere. Why didn't the Lord Jesus Christ just right there heal him on the spot? Isn't he complicating things? A blind man, you're not loading him up in a vehicle. You're not putting him on the back of a horse. You're taking a blind man by the hand and leading him all the way out of town. Why would you complicate the matter? Remember the context of what we're reading. This is all about Jesus Christ giving the disciples a visual illustration of dealing with their own spiritual blindness and spiritual blindness in a a larger way, a more proper way. He's saying you need to distance yourself from the influences in your life and we're going to separate you from that and from them. You know why so many stay blinded after salvation? Because they haven't separated themselves from that which caused spiritual blindness. Everything in life, human nature causes spiritual blindness. Tradition causes spiritual blindness. Religion causes spiritual blindness. Grandparents and parents, secular education, all causes blindness. Why? It's in opposition to the word of God. So God is trying to get our minds aligned with his mind. And there are choices that we make because of the voices that we hear that keep us blinded. And here's what Christ's going to do. He's going to take him by the hand. He's going to lead him out of town. Now he does something very interesting. He leads him out of the town. And when he had done what? Spit on his eyes. Now, of all the miracles that take place in the Bible, this is to me, this is the most illogical of all of them. He takes a blind man out of the town. And now he's going to spit. Now, there are several occasions in Scripture. We found one in the previous chapter. Look what it says in Mark chapter 7. Say, Pastor, you you semi-skipped over this story. I know because it's being referenced in two different messages. But look what it says, chapter 7, verse 32. They bring unto him one that was deaf, and he had an impediment in his speech. They beseech him to put his hand upon him. So they come more or less telling Christ how to heal the man. Christ, if you'll just touch him, he'll be healed. And Christ said, I don't exactly do things according to your orders. So he took him aside from the multitude. He put his fingers into his ears. And he what? He what? And did what? (laughs) I mean, like that miracle. Preachers don't normally preach this miracle. He spit and touched his tongue. So 
We, we see right here in a row. That was Tyre and Sidon. Now, here's what, here's what you got to see. This was done in an area that was very demonic. A lot of satanic influence. Now, I, I've never heard a preacher give the explanation of why he would spit in these miracles. I don't know. God doesn't tell us. God owes us no explanation. I'm, I'm going to give you my opinion. I want you to separate my opinion from the rest of the message. The rest of the message, what God's word tells us. I'm throwing my opinion. I believe... Christ was spitting on that which was Satan's work. I believe Satan had a hold of this man's tongue that was keeping him from speaking from here. I I believe Satan had a hold in this man's life that was blind. And I I don't believe it was demeaning at all. I believe literally Christ was saying, I'm spitting on Satan himself in the hold that he has on these men's lives. And I'm going to loose them. Not something to demean, but something saying, I'm going to liberate them from the very power of Satan. And you don't have to like it, but God owes us no explanation. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And if he spit, there was a reason for spitting. He spits on him. In in both these cases, there is spittle included. And his eyes are open. Now, hold on for a second. Once again, the illogical miracle that we see taking place to the human mind, because look what it says. After he spit on him, he put his hands upon him. He asked him if he saw aught, verse 24. And he looked up and he said, I see men as trees walking. How many of you are satisfied with that? I know you're not because you're wearing glasses. I have them. Some of you ask, I hate them. They're trifocals. I hate getting them in the right spot so I can see close and far, and I just, I've got a larger print Bible, and I started printing my notes larger to avoid having to wear my glasses as much as possible. But at the end of the day, I'm not happy with any level of blindness or that which keeps my vision restricted. That's why you have glasses. He's happy because he's seeing things, but you don't want to walk around seeing trees, right? How many of you put your glasses on and you're like, oh, trees aren't just green, they actually have leaves. You would say, why did Christ do a miracle halfway? Because he's trying to explain to the disciples and to us in this chapter, what is spiritual blindness? When you get saved, you're not immediately uh, rescued from your spiritual blindness. You don't see things clearly. It's going to take time. It's going to take growth. It's going to take another touch of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. And here's what happened. How many of you uh, this year, you've seen something more clearly spiritually than you ever have before? You ought to. If you can't shake your head, you've got a spiritual problem. Because God wants to do a work in our lives where every day we're seeing more and more clearly. We're addressing things in our lives. We're uh, facing that which God wants to get rid of. And he's teaching the disciples, you too have spiritual blindness. And here's the problem. Salvation doesn't cure all of that. As you grow, you begin to address those things that need to be addressed. Verse 25, after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes. He made him look up and he was restored and he saw every man clearly. It's a good day in your life when we begin to see things spiritually very clearly. Now. We're going to come back because the, the next few verses, speaking of spiritual blindness, I believe are the key to the whole chapter. But let's talk about, first of all, what God does to help us with our spiritual blindness. 
God gives us mirrors. We've mentioned some of these go to James. We'll just re-mention them very quickly. James chapter 1. He has given us mirrors. James chapter 1. Look what it says in verse 21. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is likened to a man. What's it saying? Beholding his natural face in a glass. This is the word of God. It's a mirror to reveal our condition. He beholdeth himself, he goeth his way, straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into what? The perfect law of liberty, the word of God, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful ear, but a doer of the word, this man should be blessed in his deed. Now, I want to give you a visual illustration this morning of what God does to help us out. Brother Ernest, would you take that chair, bring it up here for just a moment. If you'll sit here and face the crowd. So... When uh, you get a car, how many bought a car and the mirrors were not included? And you, you said, hold on for a second, where are the mirrors? Those are accessories that so you're going to have to pay 500 apiece. Five, no, no, I'm not driving off this lot without the mirrors in it, the mirrors on it. Those are all needed, three mirrors, one right there in the front windshield, your primary mirror, one on the left door, one on the right door. Those will keep you safe because when you're driving that vehicle, you don't have eyes in the back of your head. You have blind spots, and those blind spots create extreme dangers. Now, I have you understand, you have spiritual blind spots. And when you're driving down the road of life, you are in a spot where every day you could put yourself, your family, and someone else in a dangerous position if you don't properly use those mirrors. How many remember uh, your driving instructor, and what did they do as soon as they set you down? What's the instruction? Position your mirrors to address your blind spots. Don't ever take off until you've addressed your blind spots. Christians, no greater advice is found than that. When you're going down the path of life, you better position the mirrors, and God has given us the mirrors. Now, the first and primary mirror is what? So Brother Ernest got saved, and God has given the mirror of God's word. So when he's driving, he's got he's to constantly keep his face in the mirror, right? How many do that when you're driving? You're constantly, you want to know where everything is at around you. Your eyes on the road, but you're constantly glancing up, guided by your mirror, making sure there's no danger around you, eliminating those blind spots. How many have been saved from serious accidents by that primary mirror? How many have been saved from a spiritual accident by this primary mirror, the Word of God? You listen to it. Now, here's the problem. That mirror alone should be sufficient. How many agree with the pastor? The mirror of the Word of God ought to be sufficient. How many of you, if all you had was the Word of God, you had no church, you had no Holy Spirit, you had no friends, you had nothing else in life, just the Word of God, you'd be the perfect Christian. Isn't it a shame that our human nature makes the Word of God insufficient when it's all sufficient? The Word of God, how many have been saved 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and God's Word, everything that we need for life and for decision-making and to please God and be conformed to His image, it's all found right there, and yet we deviate, yet we have occasional accidents, yet we hurt people and hurt our own families because we're not focused enough 
on the mirror that God has placed in our lives to keep us from living with blind spots. How many of you have ever gone through your day and then you ended up, maybe you ended up department store somewhere where they had the three-way mirror and you turn around and you said, oh, good night. I didn't know my head was shaped like that. <laughs> I didn't know my bald spot extended that far back. Before we left Mexico 13 years ago, I'd go into the stores and people knew I was a, uh, a pastor at the Templo Bautista. I'd walk in and they'd say, uh, hola, padre. They'd say, hello, holy father. And then one day I looked in the mirror and I said, I look like a holy father. <laughs> I look like a Catholic priest. No wonder they tell me that. If it weren't for a three-way mirror, I would have no clue about the acorn-shaped head that God gave me. I don't need you to make fun of the preacher. I can do that alone. How many of you hate three-way mirrors? You wouldn't even know how, how much you have grown physically. I'm trying to say this very, very appropriately. But a three-way mirror said, wow, you're really fat. That's why three mirrors in the house aren't actually the, the best idea. Some of you are offended. I'm not trying to be offensive this morning. I'm just, you know what the word of God is? It offends us because it's more than a three-way mirror. It shows us areas of our lives that need to be addressed. And instead of addressing them, we just get offended with God. We get frustrated with the mirror. The mirror didn't make you into what you are or who you are. You did that with a fork and a spoon. You need to just say, I've got to address what I can address. And the word of God is there to help us. Now go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Ernest, if I can get you to stay there for just one more minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look what it says in verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which, what's it say? The Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. His mind's been darkened. But after salvation, God gives us another mirror. He said the Word of God ought to be sufficient, but we're not always in tune with the Word of God, or we'd be perfectly spiritually mature. So, come here for a minute, uh, Chris. Chris is... The mirror on the right side of the car, he's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's a gentleman. This mirror doesn't scream. How many of you have the, the newest model vehicle now where if someone's in your right-hand lane, the little orange light comes on to let you know not to traverse to the other lane? That's the Holy Spirit. Just the little orange light comes on. That mirror doesn't start screaming, you idiot, you're going to kill everyone. How many like one of those mirrors? This is the mirror of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what happens. So we have the Word of God sitting in front of us, and we read it, or we're sitting in church, and it's being preached. And guess what? There's no light coming on. So the Holy Spirit says, hey, that's you. You need to pay attention to that. That's a blind spot. You need to fix that. You need to deal with your temper. That's you. I'm not talking about Ernest or his problem. <laughs> Illustrations here. Is there something else you wanted me to say, Ms. Cortez? <laughs> So what the Word of God is not teaching us, because not because it failed to teach, but because we failed to listen, the Holy Spirit is the next mirror in line to make sure that we're learning. Now, if you two can stay there for just one minute, 1 Samuel chapter 9, there's another mirror that God has given us. 1 Samuel 9, 
Look what it says in verse 5. First Samuel 9, 5. When they were come to the land of Zoph, Saul said to his servant that was with him, Come and let us return. Let my father leave caring for the asses and take thought for us. And he said to him, Behold, now there is in this city a man of God. And he is an honorable man. All that he said come surely to pass. Now let us go thither peradventure. He can what? He can show us our way that we should go. Go down to verse 9. Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spake, Come, let us go to the what? Seer, for he that is now called a prophet, was before time called a a seer. God has given us another mirror called the man of God. Now, we know the story. I'm not going to preach on Saul, but he had uh, lost some animals. He was hunting for them, had no clue. And he said, you know what? Uh, let's, go, let's just go ask the man of God. Maybe he can point us the right way so that we can facilitate these steps and, and, and find these animals. And uh, the man of God was able to help them. Here's our point. God says the word of God ought to be sufficient. It's not, not because it's insufficient, because we don't study it, read it, heed it, obey it like we ought to. He gives us the Holy Spirit. Over the past 2,000 years, since the ascension of Christ into heaven, every believer has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. He's got a mirror. Now God gives us all another mirror. Come here, Joseph. That is called the man of God. So... We miss it in the Bible. We, we don't see it by way of the Holy Spirit. God has given us a spiritual leader that says, hey, that's softly, that's a little hard. Don't hurt the man. Christians are made of glass. Don't break them. You understand what God has done for us? He's helped us out. Otherwise, there's a tragedy awaiting there. And too many, here's, now, here's the bottom line. Because we still got to get back to Mark 8. How many have had this mirror in place that works, right-hand mirror in place that works, left-hand mirror in place that works, and yet we still managed to have an accident? If that's happened to you, raise your hand. The majority of us. All three mirrors. You know what? People are still have blind spots with all three mirrors. That is why we're sitting here today, each one uniquely flawed because God wants to perfect us through his word and through his Holy Spirit and through his man. But no matter how well placed the mirrors, how clean and how perfectly uh, they are sitting there waiting for our use, often we misuse them or don't use them. Now, God has done us a favor. Come here, Josiah. He's given us a fourth mirror. Nope, oh, wrong side, we're not in Europe. Put it on the other side. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Proverbs for just a moment. Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the what? The wounds of a friend. Here's the fourth mirror. Good godly friends. In the passenger seat. Now let me just say this about uh, those mirrors. Come, come stay in your spot. Mirrors are never in the back seat. What's wrong with you, Mr. Mayor? You choose who rides in the passenger seat. You know why so many teenagers get in accidents? When, when uh, Ashley and Brady got their licenses, I said, listen, so-and-so's not going to ride with you. So why can't they ride in my car? Uh, because they are a distraction. When you two are together, you talk. I mean, notice when a young person first learns to drive, what is the restriction placed by the state on that driver? 
There has to be a mature adult over 21 present in the vehicle. You know what the state says? This person has to be the right person. Now, here's what happens in life. It's amazing. God's Word ought to be sufficient. Holy Spirit ought to be sufficient. The man of God ought to be sufficient. But you can still get in a tragic accident with all three mirrors on that vehicle, and there are accidents happening all across this nation every single day, and every single car has the mirrors in place. Now, God says there's another mirror that'll be vocal when the others are silent. You know what I've learned to do in my life? Pick the passenger. I don't want just any person in the passenger seat. I want someone that'll raise their voice and say, Hey! How many of you have a backseat driver? How many of you have a wife? Even if she doesn't say anything, her foot slams against the floorboard as if she had a brake on that side of the vehicle. There's a car, there's a car, there's a car! In my case, my wife knows I can't, if I'm not wearing my glasses, I can't read the signs and so I don't know where I'm supposed to exit. She'll be like, that's our exit, that's right, that. you passed our exit. <laughs> I'm like, no, I didn't. We've got 15 minutes. I want to pull up ahead, grab a soda, and we'll loop around. <laughs> she just looked at me like, yeah. You need a voice because here's what happens in life. Too many, especially in their youth, decide to put someone in the passenger seat who's going to agree with their poor decisions or their crazy driving. Go faster. Can this car do 100? You got the wrong person in that. You got the wrong person in that seat. You know what you need? You need someone over that's going to say, hey, that's not smart. Hey, don't drive like that. Hey, don't put us all in danger. How many of you, when you had kids that changed your driving habits, you at least were responsible enough to say, I am in charge of the safety of everyone in this vehicle. And if you're a spiritual leader, you ought to really make sure you have the right person in the seat saying, if, if I have others around me that are being endangered, I am not putting these people at risk. I want to make sure I'm looking at the mirror of God's word and the mirror of the man of God and the mirror of the Holy Spirit of God. And then I'm going to make sure I've got the right passenger. I've added a mirror that is vocal. To help me. Let me ask you, Christian, how many of you have included a passenger in your right of life that you've given permission to be vocal with you? You know what? We reach this. I'm 30 now. I'm 40 now. I'm 50 now. I'm a spiritual leader now. I don't need anyone talking to me. You're going to wreck. If you've not included people on purpose in your life, over the course of my life, I'm adding, they always get older and older. I'm picking people that are more and more unfiltered, that are willing to initiate the conversation, not wait for the question. I want people that are both unfiltered and abrasive enough to say, Adam, that's really not a smart move. Not that I don't have the Word of God, not that I don't have the man of God, not that I don't have the Holy Spirit of God, but sometimes I am am so used to driving, I don't pay enough attention to the mirrors. Thank you. Leave the seats there and you guys can be seated. Thank you for your help. Now let's go back to Mark 8 we'll be finished. Here's what I've realized. There are only two people in life who can tell you the truth about yourself. An enemy that's lost his temper and a friend who loves you dearly. You better pick that friend and put him in that seat. Mark chapter 8. Now, once again, he's going to continue with his lesson on addressing spiritual blindness. Verse 27. Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea of Philippi. By the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? They answered John the Baptist. Some say Elias, others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter 
the spokesman of the group that, uh, that was always answering, he answered and said to him, Thou art the Christ. Bingo! You got it right, Peter. Finally, you're going to look bad, good instead of bad, which is your tradition. But he says, Thou art the Christ. Now, you know, in Matthew 16, Christ says, uh, Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but God himself. And all the disciples said, Whoa, way to go, Peter. Well, see, he's not spiritually blind. Hold on for a second. Verse 30. He charged them that they should tell no man. He began to teach him the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected, the elders and the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He's prophesying of this crucifixion. He spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Blind spot. This is his whole purpose. He's coming to die. He's focused on Jerusalem. He's going to give his life. He's going to shed his blood. He's repeatedly told this to the disciples. And as soon as he preaches the message, this is one of the most astounding moments in all the Bible. God in the flesh. Jesus Christ has just, come here for a minute, has just predicted his crucifixion, just foretold his crucifixion. And Peter walks up to the Son of God and says, man, the, the Beatitudes, that was some beautiful preaching, Lord. You've preached some really good ones. Wheat and the tares, fantastic. A lot of people got saved. <laughs> you know the message you just preached? That was horrible. That outline was unbelievably terrible. One, two, and three, all bad points. Death, burial, resurrection, I don't like any of them. You know, if you decide to preach again, I would go a different direction. You can't make that stuff up. Jesus rebuking the Son. Of, he, the Bible uses a specific word, rebuke. He's rebuking the Son of God. You know what that's called? A blind, hold on for a second. We're talking about 12 handpicked men to be under the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is so spiritually blind, he can't accept the message, comprehend the message, and to such a point, he rebukes the perfect messenger. Now, look what it says next verse. And he spake, Peter took him, began to rebuke him. Verse 33, when he had turned about, he looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Christ rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me. Now, look at the next phrase. For thou, what? Saverest not. Here's spiritual blindness. When you're not savoring the things of God, but the things that be of man, you're creating spiritual blindness. That's why we all have spiritual blind spots. We're not savoring the word of God and allowing it to change us and guide us and transform us. We go throughout our day savoring the, the things of this world and the things of man. Now, this created a terrible blind spot in the disciples, but specifically in Peter. And here's what happens. When you have a blind spot, you'll actually be used as a tool of Satan. Use it. No, not. You know, there are people all across this land in churches that are being used as tools of Satan to hurt, to harm the work of God. Divide churches. Cause terrible conflict. You know why? They have a blind spot. Hold on, here's the, here's the horrific part of a blind spot. You can feel spiritual while doing Satan's job. This is why you've got to say, I've got a lot of flesh in me, which means I have a lot of blind spots. Salvation didn't solve all that. Salvation didn't cure all of that. I need the Word of God, and I need the man of God, and I need the Spirit of God, and I need the right pastor. I need the right kind of friends, righteous friends that will address me. Well, hold on for a second. 
what ought to be our motivation is saying, what I can do with a spiritual blind spot is literally become a servant of Satan as a son of God. And Peter, here's Peter. Now, he got it right, but here's a problem. That blind spot was tremendous in his life. We wouldn't see Peter in the book of Acts doing what he had done unless he had addressed this blind spot. And we see it in John chapter 20 when after Christ's resurrection, they're out there fishing the boat. Peter goes skinny dipping. They come back to eat fish together. And what does Christ do? He looks at Peter and he says, Peter, are you ready to follow me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Peter gets angry. Yes, Lord, you know that. How many times do I have to say it? He said, Peter, that's all lip service. Then he foretells his death and he says, Peter, one of these days you carried everything on your back that you wanted to carry. One of these days they're going to throw a cross on your back. They're going to hang you upside down and crucify you. That's your future, Peter. Oh, the past three years, it's miracles. It's good times. I'm calming the sea. I'm multiplying the fish and the bread. All you're seeing is good stuff. Peter, in your heart, you're a Pentecostal at heart. Now you need to become a Christian. Because, Peter, if you follow me from this point forward, and for the second time in his life, Christ looked at Peter and said, follow me. The first time out there on the lake, yeah, he almost sunk his boat with all the fish in the net. It's easy to follow Christ when, when he's sinking your boat with rewards. But when he looks at you and says, you're going to be hung upside down, crucified upside down, you're going to die for me if you follow me. You know what that was in Peter's life? A huge blind spot. You know what corrected that blind spot? All four. Now hold up for a second. Here's the blood saying. Christ was, Jesus was, the Word of God made flesh. He had this Holy Spirit of God working in him and through him. He was the man of God in the life of Peter, and he was Peter's best friend. And all four of those things confronted Peter, and because he corrected the confrontation, what happened? A transformation took place in his life that led him to be the Peter that we see in the book of Acts. But he said, I've got to deal with the blind spots. Now, Christian, what is keeping you from something greater that God wants to do with you? You know what it is? Blind spots. Salvation didn't cure that. You're going to have to say, this morning I want to do what God tells me to do. Get a better look at the Word of God. More sensitive ear to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Be willing to hear from the man of God. Make sure that I'm choosing the right people in that pastor's seat that will yell when someone needs to be a voice to yell in that vehicle.